Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Prominent Christian author C.S. Lewis had this to say about humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And as our world becomes more self-centered today, the more divides we have. We are known not by what unifies us, but what divides us. But God did not create you and I to live a divided life. He created us to be unified, unified in Him and unified with one another. So how in the world are we going to turn this around? Well, what, I'll tell you what, we need, we need the Democrats to win. Or I'll tell you what, we need the Republicans to win. We need the Independents to win. No, folks, we need Christians to stand up. God has already won. God has got this. And we need to do our part to stop the division. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us today in a couple of parables about humility. This world could use a little more of that, a little more humility. So as Jesus teaches in these parables a little bit about humility, maybe it could change the world. And maybe it could change, more importantly, your world too. So this morning, I'd like to present to you what I would call a a parable sandwich. If you're just uh, being with us maybe for the first time or first time in a long time, we've been going through the parables of Jesus. And today, there are two parables that Jesus told about humility. So rather than just choosing one, I wanted to do both of them. Don't worry, I'm not going to go in depth on both of them. You're going to be out in time for lunch, all right? I promise you. But I just want you to see the context to which Jesus is using these. And and for an illustration, I couldn't go any further than Jesus himself. So I promise you, if you've got a copy of God's Word, you'll be able to read it there for yourself. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in the pew in front of you. And then also, if you have a a smart device, whatever it is, and you have the Bible version app, uh, you can go to events and you'll see the notes there as well. So with this parable sandwich, it's sometimes hard to eat, but I'm going to tell you what, the ingredients are good for you. And so Jesus is speaking on the subject of humility. And the first piece of bread of our sandwich relates to uh, humility and the approval of others. And then the second deals with humility as far as being humble before the Lord. So let's just jump in. The first thing that we see in Luke 14, 7 through 11, is that humility teaches us not to seek approval from the wrong people. Humility teaches us to not seek approval from the wrong people. Image is everything today, isn't it? Uh, today in our culture, people are consumed With their image. Uh, Statistics say that nearly everyone, 86% of people use social media at least once per day. And 72% use it multiple times a day. Now, I'm not going to rail against the evils of social media. Yes, there are a lot of bad things out there. But there are a lot of good things out there as well. But what is amazing is to see how it has changed the way we interact with people, and the way that we see ourselves. And many people today wear a sign on them because of social media that says, please make me feel important. 
There will be some people, they'll be down in the dumps. You'll ask them what's wrong, and they'll say, oh, no, I'm fine. But when you find out after you talk to them, they made a post and only two people liked it. Yes, it's the truth. Or if somebody puts a post and it goes viral, they feel real good about themselves until the next thing comes along. But people post not who they are, but what they want people to think they are. And this is not new. This has been going around for generations. So as long as sin and self-centeredness are alive and well in people, it's been in this world, there has been the desire to elevate our need above whatever God wants for us. And we will step all over whoever we need to to get it. As you look at your newspapers, as you read your news feeds, and as you see what's going on, whatever slant you come from, you can obviously see that it's one person getting something over on another person. Some of you in here have been the subject of that. Some of you have been stepped on. And some of you maybe have even done the stepping. We all need a little bit more humility. So let's jump into the text. It says in verse 7 of Luke 14, When Jesus noticed that all who had done or had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Just to give you a little bit of a setting here, in those days when this was written and Jesus was saying this, it was assumed that the closer someone sat to the host of the dinner feast, that meant the more important they were. And the more influence that they had. And so, for example, much like a time of year, uh, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, when you have a big party or you have all of your family together, invariably someone's going to have to sit at the kids' table. Any of y'all ever had to sit at the kids' table? And then when you grow up and you don't have to sit at the kids' table, you're like, well, I'm moving on up. I'm with the family. And then before you know it, because of years and because of life and death, and before you know it, you are the host, hosting it. But we've all had to be at the kids' table. And sometimes we've been adult. And to be honest with you, sometimes I like the kids' table better because it's more fun. But the truth is, is that in this setting, I want you to understand that he was setting the Pharisee up because he wanted them to know that the approval was not based on how close you sat to the host. As we pick up our verse again, in verse 10 it says, Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when you see your host and he sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you than you will be honored in front of all other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, I think of uh, a moment, and I just now thought of this, When we were in college, we played in a group uh, that would go to churches and travel. And there was a group at the time called Truth. And we would do a lot of their songs. We actually did some concerts with them. So long story short, my best friend went to a Truth concert. He was sitting in the back back row Baptist back there. And he was watching the group. And all of a sudden, the guitar player from Truth looked out and saw him, pointed to him out of the crowd and said, we need you to come up here and play drums because our drummer just fell sick. 
So here he was in the back coming to see the concert, and he was called up to play. You never know when God is going to call you to do something great. But the problem is, is if you seek to do something in your own strength, it always gets in the way of what God wants you to do or wants to do through you. So people at the feast here were not distinguished by their criteria. They were distinguished because they were invited to the dinner. And they were seeking the host's favor only to be seen and approved by others. That will end up in humiliation. Can you remember a time when you were younger, maybe even older, to where you were seeking the approval of somebody and you did something you knew was wrong, you knew it was a bad choice, but you did it anyway because you wanted to be liked by everybody. Everybody says, oh, yeah, of course, that's middle school and high school. Adults do it, too. Everybody wants to seek the approval of others, and that's what these people are trying to do here. I've I've got some perspective for you. I have got in my room, I've got rid of my uh, bookcase, and so now I have all of my stuff in the floor trying to get rid of it. And I have years and years of, of yearbooks that are going to go in the trash. And I remember, y'all remember yearbook day? I mean, that, they canceled classes, and they let you roam the halls, and, and people are like, I'm, you, you go through, they'll say, sign my yearbook. You don't even know them, but they're like, hey, sign it. And so they open it up, and then all of a sudden, this space is saved for, and this space is saved for, and this space is saved for. And so you have all, you finally find your place, and then you sign it, and you move on. And so it's just, it's a crazy day. And now all of those yearbooks that I fought so hard to get filled with all these people and all my friends are now going to the trash. Folks, the approval, especially teenagers and young adults, the approval that you seek of others now will not mean in the days to come. It's the approval of God that matters, and that's what Jesus is trying to teach here. So don't seek honor for yourself, but serve God and receive honor from Him. Being humble helps you recognize your condition, but pride will blind you to it. Let me put it another way. Humility is an attitude that once you realize you have it, you've lost it. Let me say that one more time. Humility is an attitude that once you realize you have it, you've lost it. Well, what does humility look like? Well, Jesus shows us. Humility seeks to have an attitude of Jesus. That's Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. As we start verses 1 and 2, it says, If there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Is Paul writing this to a group of non-believers? No. He's writing this to the church of Philippi. He's writing this to you and he's writing this to me. Then he says in verse 2, "...that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other." Loving one another and working together in one mind and purpose. If there is ever an opposite of what is out there today, we have, we are separated by denominations. We are separated by political affiliations. We are separated by the interpretation of what the Bible says about different hot topics. All of these things, we have different camps that people are coming in. And Paul is saying, look, this is not what you're supposed to do. What is the goal of humility? It says it right here in the first two verses. The goal of humility is to agree, to love, and work with one another. 
to agree, love, and work with one another. Folks, you will not work with somebody if you think you've got all you need. Well, how in the world do we get there? It says it right in the verse. Comfort one another. Fellowship one another. Have tender hearts. And be compassionate. My friend, let me tell you something. You will never have a tender heart. And you will never be compassionate to somebody if you have the attitude of it's myself first. Here's the wisdom of humility. It will make you a better person. As we look at verses 2 through 5. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress self with self-ambition and vainglory, some translations say. But be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves, and don't look only to your own interest, but take interest in others. My friends, if we were to take these two verses and apply them to our lives, it would radically change the way we worship. It would radically change the way we treat our spouse Children, our co-workers, our family, our church friends, it would radically change everything. How do I know that? It's because that's what happened in my life when God showed me these two verses. It's amazing how we clothe our selfishness in in self-justifications. Like, well, you know, I really need to take care of myself first. Yes, you do need to take care of yourself, but not at the expense of other people. We are very... Very careful to kind of clothe our pride in church terms that we don't need to do. It says here, don't be selfish and put others before your own needs. I think at some point our politicians have lost sight of that. I think somewhere in our churches we have lost sight of that. I think somewhere in our families we have lost sight of that. Many of you in here either have felt this way or have people in your family have felt that I just don't feel happy anymore. And you know what comes next, right? It's that selfish ambition. It's not always about you. Sometimes it's putting us second and the other person first. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you make your goal is encouraging and building up your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your children, if you try to out-serve one another, you will have last for an eternity. If you put yourself aside and think of others first. So, we see in this verse, here is a biblically defined, Jesus-modeled view of humility. Number one, don't be selfish. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. The second thing is, don't put the approval of others above the approval of God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. And here we go. Our purpose is to please God and not people because He alone examines our motives. You can fool people. And you can yourself, but you can fool God. Also, God's will. Choose God's will, not your will. It says in Luke twenty two forty two, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
That was Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Daddy, I don't want to do this. But yet he did it anyway because he loved God and he loved you even before you knew him. And then the next thing we see is that we need to serve others before ourselves. Folks, if someone, it says in 1 John three seventeen, if someone has enough money to live well, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Folks, your family needs you to have a little humility. Your career could flourish if you had a little humility. Your church will flourish if you have a little bit of humility. You don't think you can humble yourselves? Well, Jesus tells us how he did it. If we just read along in Philippians 2 for the rest of it, it says, you must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Woo! That's pretty big, tall order. What does that mean? It means Jesus himself, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is a direct contradiction to what Satan did. Lucifer. Lucifer didn't want to be beside God's throne. Lucifer wanted to be on God's throne. And when you are selfish, and when I am selfish, and we put ourselves first, we do not have the attitude of Christ. We have the attitude of the devil. But Jesus here, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You probably remember these shows like Undercover Boss. There's a there's another one. It's, I think it's Undercover Billionaire where these people that have all this money, they go in and they treat people nice and, and they learn about people that have needs. And at the end, there's a big reveal. Oh, I had no idea you had money. And they all cry and they all get gifts. And, and we're all crying with them because it's so sweet. Because you have somebody that has all of this, but yet they humbled themselves. CEOs. And, and powerful people humble themselves enough to go and, and work in a sanitation crew or to go work on a farm or to go work in a fast food restaurant. And it amazes us and the ratings go through the roof because you have somebody that has so much but yet wants to give back. Undercover boss has nothing on Jesus. Jesus said, you realize Jesus at any moment could have said, ha, I'm out of here. I'm done. I want to go back to heaven. I want to get in my recliner and I want to enjoy all the, 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 the great things that I have there. I want to put my crown back on. I want to sit by my father's right hand. I'm tired of this. But no, he chose time and time again to deny all of that. To serve his father. Verse 9 says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor. My friend, if you want honor, put yourself second And God first, and he will take you on a ride you have never thought possible. I have seen that true in my life. I have seen that true in my marriage. I have seen that true in my ministry. I have seen that true in my finances. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm telling you this, is that if we lower ourselves and submit to him, God will elevate you. And he gave him the name above all other names that every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. They can say that, that Jesus, there's no such thing. They can say that God is not real. And you can, you know, I mean, this culture can try to deny all of that. But one day there will be a reckoning. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of that argument. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. If we die and we find out that the naysayers are, are right and there is no such thing as afterlife and there is no such thing as God, then I would not change one thing that I've done for him because my life living for him was so much better than when I was trying to live it for myself. But if we're right, oh, if we're right, what a day that'll be. Like Jesus, believers must model humility. We must expect unsaved people to be selfish, but we should not expect church members to be selfish. Last point is our last passage, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It says, humility leads you to take ownership. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, buckle your pew belts, this is going to sting a little bit. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I'm just going to let her fly. This is the second parable that Jesus taught on humility. And he says in Luke 18, 9 through 14, Then Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. This was uh, Brother Righteous right here. This was Mr. Perfect. This was the guy that does nothing wrong. This is the guy that, that will tell you how spiritual he is. Or she is. And so... He sets this guy up and he says in verse 10, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a dun-dun-dun despised tax collector. Now you got to realize when, when Jesus is telling this parable, this Pharisee didn't appreciate being put alongside a tax collector. I mean, we all joke about lawyer jokes and all these things that are around nowadays, but the tax collector, he was the lowest of the low. And so Jesus pits these two against one another. In verse 11 it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And I can just hear him. I thank God that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I tithe, or I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. He was crowing about how good he is. I have found in my life that if there is somebody that tells me how, a, how good of a Christian they are, I know that they are not as good as they say they are. The true Christians are the ones that are humble, that serve, and they let their actions do the speaking. But it says in verse 13, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He, <laughs> he couldn't even come into the sanctuary or the temple. He didn't feel like he was worthy enough. It says, the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you heard nothing else in what was said today, underline or highlight or write down verse 13 that says, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
There is nobody, I mean nobody in churches today, that want to recognize this passage There is nobody that wants to say that I am wrong and I am jacked up and I messed up. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you got pains everywhere and you've waited two hours in the waiting room and you go to get, finally get to the doctor and the doctor says, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm fine. You got anything wrong with you? Nope, I'm good. All right, we'll see you in six months. And you walk out of the office still hurting and still wondering what's going on. Or that person that says, you know, that person had never been to the doctor a day in their life. And they just went like that. That's because they never knew something was wrong. Christians today do not want to admit that they need Jesus because they would have to admit that the, the, the behavior that they are doing is wrong and nobody wants to do that. This culture believes that God is a God of love, and He is a God of love, but He is also a God that judges, and He is a God of wrath. Is it any wonder to you to know that He gave His only Son so that you could be saved from that sin, yet at the same time there are some people that want to continue to do it and do it? Paul himself said, you know, the, the grace of God abounds. Does that mean that you need to sin more so you can have more of God's grace? No. When is the last time, I'll just be street level honest with you, when's the last time you owned your stuff? <laughs> when I say stuff, when's the last time you owned your sin? It doesn't have to be a big one. It doesn't have to be a small one. And you're like, man, preach, you get kind of heavy this morning. Well, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When I see this, I weep myself. Because it's talking to me too. I don't have it all together. I'm a man, I'm human, and I have flaws just like you have flaws. But we don't get better by ignoring it or just putting a band-aid on it and saying, well, I'm just going to sing it away. It's going to be good. No, this parable says if we want to know what God has for our life, we have to own our stuff and we have to admit that we are a sinner because when we admit that we are a sinner, boom, God's grace is right behind it. Boom! God's redemption is right behind it. Boom! God's blood has covered it. And you can walk away clean time and time again. If you have a problem with humility, I would say probably it's because you are not ready to own your stuff and to own your sin. But owning your sin is a beautiful thing because that's the only way you get Better. I used to see in youth ministry all the time, there were some kids that got saved four times. Remember those kids? You have the Thursday night cry time. Well, didn't you remember those? And you have the kids come up and they're crying, they're boohooing, and they got saved last year at camp, and they're getting saved this year at camp. And they're getting saved the next year at camp. Now, I'm not making fun of that. Don't go, preacher's making fun of people getting saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I don't know whether it was the first time or the fifth time that they truly got saved. I myself, I was saved, I think, twice and baptized twice. The first time I got wet. The second time, I knew what I was doing. But the reason the kids do that is because no one has taught them that once you are saved, you don't need to go throw a stick in the fire. You don't need to walk down an altar. You don't have to do any of these things. All you got to do is get on your knees and say, God, I am sorry for my sin and you confess your sin, and you repent it, and you walk away clean. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so, if you were that kid, 
let me implore you that you are saved. But if you feel dirty and you feel like you've got sin in your life and you messed up and you jacked up, all you've got to do is acknowledge your sin and ask for God's grace. Humble yourself just a little bit. And God will do the rest. Because in verse 13, again, it says, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. As we, as we walk away from this passage, I want you to notice two things. Number one, the Pharisee left Jesus that day justified in his own mind. He said, I've, I'm a tither. I'm a faster. I'm a, I'm a great Christian. And he walked away justified in his own mind. But the tax collector, the one that pleaded to Jesus, was the one that when he left... So in conclusion, the, the wisdom of humility is. What is the wisdom of humility? Number one, being humble enough to recognize your sinful condition and your need for Jesus. If you don't think you need Jesus, then your pride has blinded you to that. I've seen even in recent days through different things that, that people, even though spiritual truth is out there, they just don't see it. There's, the Bible calls it a spiritual blindness. And they are blind because we don't have people showing them the truth. The second thing we see is not letting a lack of humility be the reason for your lack of faith and growth because you are too proud to see the need for it. Folks, I don't care how long you've been to a church. I don't care if your name is on a plaque at a church. I don't care if you have got perfect attendance in Sunday school. It does not make a hill of beans if you do not approach Jesus humbly to confess your sins, to be forgiven of your sins, and to walk in his will. And then finally, needing to humble yourself today and recognize your need for Jesus. That is what the wisdom of humility is. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Your family needs you to be a little more humble. Your church needs you to be a little more humble. Your world needs you to be a little bit more humble. Your career needs you to be a little bit more humble. How does that work? How does that look? Jesus has just showed you in Philippians chapter 2. My prayer for you today is that I know you didn't come in here wanting a self-help, and this is not a self-help. This is just simply how we ought to be as believers. That when you walk into a church setting, that it's not about being judged about what you wear or who you came with or how much you put in the, the offering plate or, or how faithful you are or from what side of the track you're on. All of those don't matter. Today, in this building, we are one in Christ, regardless of color, regardless of creed, regardless of wealth, regardless of the clothes on our back. We are one because we have humbled ourselves to come here today and to be in God's presence with His people. And my friend today, if you came in here with a chip on your shoulder, it is my prayer that you humble yourself. Not under me, not under a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or your spouse. I mean, that's not who we ultimately hold ourselves humble to. It's to God Himself. But I promise you, if you give God your life and you approach Him like this tax collector did... He will exalt you. Oh, that you can't get out of. He will lift you out of it. Are you in a situation that you can't...
He will lift you out of it. Are you in a job you can't stand? He will either give you the strength to get better in it, or He will lift you out of it. If you've got issues, if you humble yourselves, He will exalt you. That's the message of humility. Less of you and more of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message today. Most of all, thank you for your word. And Lord, you have worked in a way that only you know, Lord. But if there is someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, and they want to know for sure that they can approach you like this tax collector and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. And I want to be forgiven. And I want to humble myself so that you can use me for your will. Then may they walk forward today and we will rejoice with them in that. And we will lead them in a prayer that will lead you or lead them straight to you. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray. Maybe join this church or get baptized. Whatever the decision may be, Lord, this time is for you to work. And we just give you the glory for whatever happens. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.